signifies another edition of the old daily radio ranch with roger sales your host and it's the thursday edition here on the people's patriot network and uh it's interesting how it's interesting how the world works uh uh years ago i've uh, had this gentleman on before and uh, we've told the story i don't want to belabor it too much but dennis and my path crossed down in argentina up at doug casey's uh two times a year he does it in the spring and the fall open house where international jet setters such as Dennis can can pop in there and go fraternize with all these other high flyers and have all these good times well he, he, our paths crossed up there and we've stayed in contact ever since and uh, it, what's interesting is yesterday after yesterday's show and because I know Dennis and his background I knew there was a lot of information up his alley at the end of the show there's an email where are those links so I shot you a couple of links last night yesterday after after the program and and i was thinking before the show because i finished listening to that alan buttles i haven't finished quite yet but i'm pretty close to the end it takes you can't it's it's hard to digest in one setting uh, for me uh so i was thinking about that i said gosh it'd be nice if dennis would call him before the show even starts boom there's dennis so what a joy to have my buddy dennis chris is along and uh interesting times how you doing dennis you were on I'm a- doing fine, Roger, and and uh, I'm, I'm. You mentioned that Alan Butel. I I did listen to the whole thing, and it was uh, mystifying. I re- right up my alley. I've already I've already tried to contact him because you know I'm working on a <laughs> a, a, a correlation uh, a correlation between the Jews and the Jesuits. Yeah. Well, I you know I asked him if he had any information on that, but his thing was eye opening. I just can't believe it. You know the correlation be, no. between these Zionists and the and the Irish Republican uh, movement. I, now, Dennis, I mean, just just yeah. I I got to ask you, and I'm and I'm so glad sure. that you called in and you launched in on that because I've been I've been to do in these trenches for well my thirty years. And man, I'm not Catholic. I can't relate that way. But I, I've I've gone down and plowed deep in just about every furrow I've been I've, I've been confronted with. Okay, and yep. never in all these years have I heard that information that I've heard on that interview on that uh, tape podcast. Whatever Absolutely you call it, mind-boggling, mind-boggling, and but it fits so yeah. well. It it was a missing link. Yep. It was a missing. It really was. You know, my my grandmother grew up with Eamon de Valera, who he refers to in the thing, you know, and I always looked at pictures of de Valera. He was the president of Ireland, you know, and, and, uh, he, I, I looked at pictures of the guy and he just didn't look Irish, you know, and, and, uh, he looks more like what he really is. Like he's a, a, a Basque, you know, and his father was a Basque and, and, and that's where a lot of this converso activity took place. Did they, I mean, just did, it, when yep. they did the converso thing, now this is interesting. Dennis obviously is very well schooled, and to the point of when he retired from his uh, dental career, when we met, and subsequently, I mean, you take months off and go over like to Rome and go over there just so you can research the Jesuits. Okay, correct. So you're correct, you're, yeah. you're like uh, the doctor, and he's dead now, uh, and I can't. His name doesn't come to me. Chris will probably give it to me. That was out in California. 
that did the same thing. He was an orthopedic surgeon. He got the bug on this at some point and spent the rest of his life uh, uh, researching. Oh, I know who you mean. I know. I used to love that guy. Uh, yeah, doctor, yeah. and I just can't think of his name. I was on I his show. I can't remember his name either. I was yeah. on his show a couple of times. I laid my information out in front of him there towards the end. Anyway, to get to a point to find this kind of new information and to have it so validated and here Dennis and myself and neither one of us or Paul either yesterday have ever found any even thread to trace to this little cubby hole of treasured information and like you said it, it, you know what I've found Dennis over the years is that if you're in a quandary about something and you're trying to figure something out and you've got a number of options that are possibilities, all of a sudden something will come out of somewhere and boom, everything just settles. It seems like it immediately when it hits the table, all the other peripheral things that had not fit, they just go away and everything fits. We had that again this week and we talked about it Tuesday, I think. With Daryl's comment that evidently came from True News from Doc saying, well, how they got this Soleimani guy was they set up a meeting with him that they're going to talk about something else and they didn't show up, but the missiles did. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you lay that out on their table, doesn't that make everything make sense? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, this oh, is the yeah. same type of an effect. This information from this guy, Alan Buttles, and what he's covered in it. I, I mean, I'm just astounded at the machine gun, Gatling gun delivery of facts and astonishing pieces of information that this guy delivers in, what, an hour and a half? Yes, I was flummoxed. I, I, it was really, it was amazing. It made just amazing. That's why I said, that's why I've already contacted him. I hope he calls me back, you know. We'll see. <laughs> well, listen, I can tell you if he does not. I'll route you through Paul, okay? Because Paul's Paul's. Okay. I, that's the next one I want to listen to is the show that he did with Paul discussing this one we're talking about now. Oh, that's. Did you send me the link on that? Or I don't. I don't have a link on it. We can get it though. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. So anyway, Great. Yeah. you know, just uh, fascinating and and of such uh, uh, such magnitude because. Well, when you when you've been doing this as long as we have, and you find something totally new that that touches so many other areas. Here, example: Where's the big tax haven in the world today? Let me think. <laughs> I don't know. Duh, <laughs> you know, Ireland. That's what oh, they've been okay. using for 20 years or more and running all this stuff through there. You've got all of these tech, big tech headquarters that have settled in Ireland, Google and uh, all those, okay? Yeah, uh, yeah sure. Why, Absolutely. why, what, what, who isn't breaking away from the EU? Ireland. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I, I mean, see all the pieces, boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, everything fits. I, I, Roger, I am an Irish citizen through ancestry. I, I did it through my grandparents. Yeah, and you know, so I've got I've got a, a deep um, affection for the place. You know, so well, yeah, everybody I'm, that I'm, I've ever known that went over there just fell in love with the place. You know, yeah, my buddy, yeah. I, and the reason I was in Argentina was my old buddy from the record business. And he used to race dogs over there. They got quite a greyhound racing industry over there, too. And uh, he'd go back and forth all the time to Ireland with his greyhounds. At one point, this guy had 250-something greyhounds in his backyard. <laughs> Holy smokes. Jeez. Oh. Is, <laughs> was he from Georgia? Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yep. 
So uh, anyway, well, uh, uh, glad to have you call in. What else is on your mind? Now, there's a couple other uh, I should give a little uh, 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 word and shout that if you did listen to the Jim Willie interview yesterday, which I thought I was I tremendously yeah. extraordinary, part two yeah. part two's up today. How about Jimmy Carter? What about Jimmy? Well, it, who his father is, you know, <laughs> you know or, or possibly his father, Joseph Kennedy, Sr. Holy smoke. Now, where's this, come, where's this coming from? <laughs> that was, I probably, I, I think I watched uh, the, the second one uh, yesterday, you know, and, and I think it's on that one. And, uh. and, and uh, Jim Willie says, well, you know, Jimmy Carter, you know, just take a look at his face, you know, put it up against one of those Kennedys or Joe Kennedy and his mother, Miss Lillian. Nobody really knew much about her, you know, but she supposedly was a beautiful woman in her early days. She was a personal secretary to Joe Kennedy, uh, became pregnant somehow. And, you know, there comes Jimmy Carter. But, no. you know, this who knows these stories? Well, I mean, Jim Willie has so many deep contacts. I'm going to tell know, you what, and, every, another day, another bombshell. No that, that's new information no to me. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was totally new to me too. But you, you know, this is we have we are changing to the economies. You know, supposedly we've been in an Earth economy since before the uh, the American Revolution, and now we're going into an air economy. I don't even know what it means, and there's no data on it because the last one was a thousand years ago. But so changes are going to happen every doggone day, Roger. We're just uh, stand by, stand by. We're gonna. We're going to find out some real good things. I've been on standby for about 20 years now. So uh, have I. So uh, have I. Yeah. Good Lord, have mercy. Well, we're real close to something happening. That's You can just feel it. You can see it. They're getting backed into a corner. Uh, this little Iran thing was a, a, a an obvious um, uh, uh, evidence of that. Um, it's just very interesting. So, you know, don't you feel fortunate? Gratitude, I find, is one of the great levelers. And it, no matter how bad you feel or what's happening to you, you can find something to be grateful about and concentrate on, okay? And we got an awful lot to be grateful about. Do you realize we're the, we're the few people that are tuned in here in the world that really understand what the hell is going on and how it's being accomplished and what it is? A very small percentage of people, most of the other people in the world, whatever their uh, amount of research and ideas and time put into thinking out with concepts or whatever they've done, none of it can approach the real reality of what it is and what's going on. And so there's a really big, big thing to grasp on and be grateful about for all of us every day. I think you're right, I, okay. and I can be grateful for that, yes. And, 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 and then as I've thought this through over the years, and then what's the real advantage of that? Well, it allows us to make decisions that will benefit us instead of their system, which is totally designed to denigrate us. Yes. Impoverish and really yeah. literally suck out your essence through this interest mechanism. Yeah, I agree. Uh, interesting. More, Roger. In that Alan yeah. Buttles, uh, in that Alan Buttles interview talk, um, he takes the origins back of this to 1290. Right. 1290. Now, the reason that particular time frame sticks with me is because many of our problems started in either 1285 or 1258. I get a little bit dyslexic about that. 
but it was, I think it's 1285, and it was a law that was passed in England called the Statute de Mercantoribus. Are you familiar with all that, Dennis? I'm not. I'm not. No. Okay, well, this is the basis of all of the problems we've got today and their control. And what happened was... In like Engel- maritime law? Yes, in a sense. Yep. Here, here's what happens. A very interesting story. It makes total sense. Now, this isn't my research. This was John's research. And uh, he was writing briefs on it, gosh, back in the 1970s, probably, maybe 80s. Uh, John stumbled into all this through a case out of 1855, and it's a Supreme Court case. It's still considered good law today by the Treasury Department because they cited it in an appellate uh, 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 case they were doing here a couple of years ago, Glenn tells me. And the case is called Lurie's, Murray's Lessee versus Hoboken Land and Development Company. Murray's, just like Murray, just like Irish Murray, Murray's lessee. You probably put that in, it'd come up, okay? But in that case, in that case, a collector of the revenue at the Port of New York had stolen millions of dollars. I know, you find it hard to believe, but it actually was happening back then. And he had stolen millions of dollars, and what he had done was taken the, the, the money that he, that he had stolen and went over and bought land in New Jersey. And then he sold the land to this Hoboken Land and Improvement, and then he died. And then they discovered it was done with stolen money, and it's over a tax case on this situation I just described. Okay, And what the Supreme Court case said, the Supreme Court said, we don't have any laws on due process tax law in our Constitution, so we have to revert back to the laws of England, the mother country. Okay, Now, Mm -hmm. the tax laws of the mother country took a fork in the road in 1285 with the statute de mercantoribus. And what had happened, again, no doubt, involves these Jews, okay? Because there's all, yeah. they're, the yeah. mer- they're the merchants of the earth, okay? It says it right in the right. Bible. Don't call me any names. And so uh, what would happen is English was under the con- England and, and that whole area, Ireland. They were all under the common law back then, the Anglo-Saxon common law, or by then the English common law because the— uh, William the Conqueror had already 1066 come over and made the conversion. So they were into that conversion, that switch from Anglo-Saxon common law to the English common law, which the big difference there is it incorporated the feudal tendencies that were well established in the common law of Europe and brought them over to the continent of England, to the island where they had not been before. So that's a real big part of that very minute switch from the Anglo-Saxon common law to the English common law was it incorporated the feudal system, all right? So yeah. in 12, up to 1285 in that period of time, and it's interesting, it correlates with this guy's mention that all of Ireland's problems started in 1290. Yes, yes. Okay? These things are not coincidental, all right? And so what led up to the Statute de Mercantoribus, which means the Statute of the Merchants, basically. And so in the port towns 
around England and that island that based on the common law when the you know they can't survive just on the island they got plenty of wool and oats and other stuff but they need this that and the other from other places that's why this commerce thing's so critical and so in that process of commerce the english the traders would come to the port city let's say liverpool They'd come to Liverpool, they'd do a deal with somebody, the local English guy would screw them, they'd have to go to the old traditional way of going to a court, getting their case on a docket, getting in front of a judge and a jury, getting a, 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 a decision, and then ex- doing an execution if they wanted to get their property back, what they got screwed out of, and the English guys would have their buddies come up on the stand and lie for them. And so all of a sudden, the traders said, well, I ain't coming back there anymore. So now you've created a real problem. And that's what the statute de mercantoribus was legislated to do. And what it did for the first time is it brought a Jewish merchant instrument called the Jewish shetar. S-H-E-T-A-R, it's a specific type of contract, and incorporated it into the English common law, but only in those port cities. So what would happen if there was a dispute? The, they were called staple cities because of the stapleness needs of the trade, staples, okay? And these instruments were called statute staples, statute merchants also. So if there was an outstanding debt in the town, they would go to the mayor of the town, and he was designated the mayor of the staple. And when the, when the dispute was brought to him, he would immediately put it under seal, and from that moment forward, the debtor became a piece of property, and anything that came into his hands, whether it was rents or sale of this or or, or money owed to him from a previous deal, anything that came into his hands was seized to satisfy the debt until the debt was satisfied and then it was lifted. Now, does that make perfect sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, it made so much sense, and it worked so well and solved the problem totally that when Henry VIII was king, somewhere between all them wives he killed, he said, you know, that system over there works so darn well. I think I'm going to incorporate it into the exchequer and use it to collect my taxes. And that's exactly what happened. And... They produce they produce the ideas for insidious uh, actions. That's right, and and, and you, we could go into the process all that. All they've done is taken that system and brought it over to the U.S. Guess what a Jewish shetar is, Dennis? I don't know. A ten forty form. Oh my God. <laughs> God. Jesus. It, a Jewish shetar or called a statute staple contract is in a section of the Uniform Commercial Code on contracts under specialty contracts. And for an instrument of debt to be considered a statute staple Jewish shetar, it has two identifying characteristics, and it has to have them or it's not one. It has to be signed under seal. 
If you put down on your 1040, you owe them $5 trillion and send it in unsigned, they ain't taking it. They'll return it to you because it's not signed under penalty of perjury. That's under seal. Okay. Okay. And the other requirement is the contract has to have what's called a recognizance. A recognizance. Now, Chris, our wordsmith, is on here, and he knows as well as anybody else that you think about it, recognizance is a base word of recognize. And so what a recognizance is is somewhere in the fine print you're recognizing another established body of law. In the case of the 1040, hold on, Chris, I'll turn it right back over to you. In the case of the 1040 form, what do you think the recognizance is, Dennis? I don't know. When you sign a 1040 form under seal, the recognizance is that you'll abide by all the acts and conditions of Title 26 Code of Federal Regulations. Hey, Chris, what you got? Well, I'm not convinced they didn't leave the S off of recognizance. It's a thing cognizing, race cognizance. Uh, I'm, I'm really quite, uh, let's call it pleasantly surprised that you brought Dennis along today. Because I, didn't, obviously, I didn't bring him. He, he barged into the party. Came, came well, from he, my own well, volition. <laughs> well, we're certainly glad to have somebody with your experience for rudimentary connections to Ireland or Hebrew land, as the case may be. Yeah, no uh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, I mean, you fit right in here, and your knowledge is, is great, and your experiences are different, and that's what's great about this program is we bring all this collection of eclectic personalities together and the program becomes exponentially more powerful by virtue thereof. And that stuff about uh, Ireland and, and battle that brought forward, I mean, these things are colliding. This is the great revelation that we're talking about when all things that's hidden will be unveiled. You're right, Chris, and, and it's another I way Daryl right. yes. put it earlier this week so well. We said the timelines and the event lines are converging. That's a real important concept to understand. Here, yeah. here. And that's what's happening to them. They're, they've done everything through futures. Future, they're controlling the present through the futures in the financial markets. And the future's running out on them. That's what's happening right now. People aren't buying Real the future it. anymore. They're, ter- they're not buying bonds. They're having to come in and supplant the auctions so they're not multiple failed bond auctions for the first time in the history of the country. The bond market is failing. And this is exactly, as we're in the wordsmith arena here, this is exactly what was running around in my mind, excuse me, before the show this morning. I've mentioned it many times. What's the root word of bondage? Bond. Okay. I mean, isn't it right there in front of you? What's the root word of bondage? What are you, as a citizen of the United States or a resident under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment, what are you considered to be? Property. If you're a property, you can be collateralized. 
That's if you if your property you can be securitized and collateralized and the basis of bondage. I mean, come on, folks, it's right in front of you. I'm writing fast. So it's all right there. It's an ingenious plan. I, I mean, it, it as this thing unfolded to me personally through the years, and it'd be one little snippet at a time, you'd get just another clip of reality and the picture would get clearer, you know. And, man, but I can tell you in the early days, Dennis, when I was brand new to this and sitting there getting these high doses of legal stuff from John and Glenn and getting involved in this heavily, and I would just be amazed that, that that they had been able to pull this off. But I remember the one point of those weekend 30-hour seminars, towards the end, John would go over and pull up Revelations 18, and he'd go through Revelations 18. Have you and I ever done that before? Not with me. Okay. Well, the, this is instructive, okay, because, boy, it nails you, all right? And if you go to Revelations 18... It says, Babylon, O Babylon, the great has fallen, and the merchants of the earth wail, so they can no longer sell their merchandise. Okay? And then it has, and you hear this quoted a bit, but people don't know where it comes from. This is one of the rare places I can point to that I know. <laughs> it's Revelation 18. It says, come out of her, my people, come out of her. Right there. Okay, And then it goes into another couple of verses that are very interesting because it says, fill her cup double with what she served you. And it repeats that twice. A little phraseology different, but it repeats. And so what those fill her cup double with what she served you. Well, who's supposed to do that? Well, right there. Well, right there, it tells you there's a remnant. But and a remnant executes a remedy. Pardon the pun in there; it's intended. A re, a remnant would execute the remedy back to our legal basis. And what's the remedy? We're supposed to serve or double. It says it right there. Okay, so I call those the remedy verses. And then it goes down a little bit, and then there's a listing of about twenty. I counted them one time: twenty-one or twenty-two different items, and it's it's the items that are listed that are causing the merchants to whale because they can no longer sell them, all right? And it lists off your gold, your silver, your frankincense, your ivory, your this, your that, and it's 20, 20 of them or more. And the very last one, Dennis, and bodies and souls of men. Ooh. Now, I would make this general statement. I doubt if anybody can refute me on it. They can't buy and sell you if they don't own you. Yeah, yeah. And that, buddy, if I, if I wasn't interested, I was overwhelmed up to that point. But at the end of that lecture, I damn sure understood that, and it hit home. And it led me down a path that's, uh, I, as of yesterday and today, I'm still finding out new stuff that absolutely overwhelms me almost 30 years later. That's how deep this is now. 
It's an exciting time to be alive. Still waters run deep. Isn't that the cliche? Yes. So interesting. Well, good. I, I like to get that information out there, and I'm glad I had the platform to do it today with you here, Dennis, and the rest of the audience that may not have ever been exposed to it before. But the origins of what we're talking about, and this came from uh, this Alan Buttle's uh, uh, tie-in between this and why the Jews showed up in Ireland. Why did the Jews show up in Ireland? Because in 1290, they kicked them out of England. And they just went up to the adjacent country and went into these remote areas. And from the around uh, the 1300s, they've been establishing themselves pretty well. And they've done a damn good job, I find out. Well, it's not a mystery, Roger. You know, the Pharisees, uh, these were the terrors of the sea because they were the pirates or pirates that terrorized the sea and preyed on the merchants, the mercants, the haunted by mercenaries. This is not a surprise because they were the seafarers that went all around the world and preyed on the unsuspecting because they would always fly the flag of whoever they were wanting to invade and take over. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I heard. I, I remember hearing Eustace Mullins say on a video or in person uh, that they were what we call historically the Phoenicians, that they morphed in. Uh, Dennis, I'd like to get your read, and I didn't get through the whole thing again yet, and let's kind of switch horses here on that E. Michael Jones uh, uh, discussion with the two Kabbalists yesterday. I'm about... I, it's hard for me to take that second guy pretty seriously when he's talking about how the upper echelons of the concept of the Kabbalah is good mill, good will towards man from these creeps. Yeah, I, <laughs> he lost me I a little I bit. I couldn't watch the end of that. I just couldn't. Watch, I mean, I was that guy almost. Well, you know, the Kabbalist was. He was infuriating, actually. The upper echelon concept of the Kabbalah, for those of you who didn't have to suffer through any of that, and it was translated, too. He was speaking in Yiddish, Hebrew, yeah. something, uh, <laughs> is that it's it's love thy neighbor and, and goodwill towards men. <laughs> yeah. I say, full of boy, that's the, that's the real high end of the concept, Rabbi, okay? <laughs> How about some of the practical applications? Um, you mentioned a minute ago about the baths. I'm very interested in that comment that you made, Dennis, from knowing you and knowing how thoroughly a researcher you are. Tell me about that. The Basques are very, very, very interesting little sect of people, a, 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 a an ethnic group in Spain that do you know one of their characteristics that's really unusual? I mean, I, have you done much study on them, Dennis? A bit, a bit, but tell me, please. They're the highest concentration of negative blood type in the world in any race. Uh-huh. Why? Whoa. I don't know. Interesting, interesting, yeah. You know, one of the things, you know, I keep harping on that idea that uh, St. Uh, Ignatius Loyola, uh, who founded the Jesuit order, who was a converso, you know, was also a Basque. I mean, I, you know... It, I, there's a lot there with those Basques, and I, I always thought they were Catholics, but they, I think, a great deal of them are Jewish, you know. And um, 
Anyway, uh, but, you know, we go back, we were talking about Eamon de Valera, the guy who Buttle was talking about yesterday, and as I say, who my grandmother knew as a child. He he was born in, in New York and then came back to Ireland. But he, I mean, he is so Jewish looking, it's incredible. And then you find out his father, who they never talked about before, was a Spanish Basque artist. You know, it's, I mean, it's just, it's... The revelations I've, I've gotten in the past two days are incredible. A quink, an, another of those quinky dinks. Yeah, a yeah. quinky dink. Now let me draw. Let me throw a little more mud into the water. When you go over and consider the 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 conversos were happening, of course, around the time a lot of people theorize. I've seen the papers. I think I've got all this stuff back in Florida in my personal stuff because I saved it. I was so impressed with it. A guy named Earl Pastor Earl Jones used to be real tight with Pastor Peters. And he had a, he'd do all this research, and he sent out a monthly, I believe it was monthly newsletter, and he'd print it all up, eight pages or so, and send it out. And, man, some of the information and some of that stuff. When he died, I contacted his family. I said, you, you got to get this on the web somehow. And they never have. It's you know, I'm fortunate to have some copies, I think. But that's the first point that I saw that speculated or proved in this instance with what he uh, uh, put in the articles that – Columbus, Isabel and Isabel and Ferdinand, Ferdinando, Ferdinand, whatever it was, one of them was a converso too, evidently, and they actually paid Christopher Columbus to go out and find a place for all the converso Jews in the world safe to go hide. Okay, and that yes. that's why a lot of the Jews went to Central South America and changed their name to flowers, flower names. A lot of the yep. other ones went up to Amsterdam and, of course, turned the Dutch into the Dutch, India, Dutch East India Trading Company and gave them the ruling of the world commercially again for a number of years. And that's where the ideas of central banking and insurance came out of the same city in the same year, Amsterdam. That's why they work hand-in-hand hand together today, because at that point, they were that, that, they were that commercial power. And all those kind of ideas came together, and they solidified there because they'd opened up their arms to the Jews. Here's another. About the, the same time, maybe even a, a, a after that, they probably had this as an example, actually, Dennis, was what happened over in Turkey. And are, have you done much research on Sabbatai Zevi and the Sabbatean angle on uh, this no. yet? No. Oh, oh, buddy, this is something you need to know about. Chris is pretty fluent in this, too. In about the 1500s, there was a rabbi that changed the Kabbalah somehow very significantly. I don't, I don't know how. I just know this is what preceded all of this. And the, whatever the changes he w did to it, one of the people that picked up on it and followed it and incorporated what he felt w the changes did was a guy named Sabbatai Zevi, who in 1666 declared himself the Jewish Messiah. This is all historical fact, Dennis. Yes. And he came upon this conclusion and idea. Let me get a sip of water here. While you're doing that, it's my contention that these people were always twisting and respilling names. I'm not sure it wasn't yeah. Shah, Ball, Ty, Levi, 
and the Shah Ball Tins, and Shah is from Hashatan, and of course we know where Ball and Moloch and Nimrod and Shamaranus comes from. So these things are all intertwined, yeah. very tightly woven like a spider's web of evil deceit. And they were directly related to the Shah of Iran, but that's another story. Okay, so we'll go back. <laughs> now I now I forgot where I was, Dad. Gummit for a second. Um, Give me a give me a memory peg. Where were we? We're talking about Zabatai, oh, Zabatai Zevi. Okay, so this is he was redemption a, through sin. Got it. So he was a rabbi, I guess, or self proclaimed, or whatever. But what he did was he was studying the Torah. That's interesting in itself. And he stumbled on a place in the Torah where it said the Messiah would come back when either the world was all good or all bad. And he, he reasoned that the world's never going to be all good, so they're going to have to make it all bad for the Messiah to come back. And that's when they reversed everything, from thou shalt not kill to thou shalt kill, you know. And these mm-hmm. people are called the Sabbateans. You can put it in a search engine. It'll show up, okay? It's spelled just like it sounds. And... So from about and in 1666, he declared himself the Messiah, and he had a pretty pretty large following, maybe a third of worldwide Judaism, from some of the estimates I've seen. And they had well, like one night a year where they could wife swap. They called it the Night of the Lights or something. And you could go out, and well, a lot of the Jews didn't take on to it, but a, a, a pretty good percentage, maybe a third, did. And so that went on through the 1700s, and then he died. And a hundred years later, this Jew named Jacob Frank in Turkey. Jacob means chiseler. Chiseler for sure. Well, the the Jewish guy that I saw given a presentation on, it was on videotape, where Robert Seffers got it actually over in his selections. Seffer, however you say his name. He's given this information to a Jewish audience, and many of them don't know it, you know, really. And and he made the statement to them in this talk. He said, this is the worst Jew that's ever lived. That was his comment about Jacob Frank. All right. He self-deemed himself to be the most evil man on the planet. All right. So that's the caliber of individual. I mean, not only are the norm bad enough, it's this creep. All right. Jacob (laughs) Frank. And he goes in and he has a confrontation with the guy that runs Turkey. And he's got a problem because as many as half of the Jews in the world were following Jacob Frank. He had a huge following, evidently. And went to him again, just like Spain, said, you're either going to convert or I'm going to kill you. And so they got a lot of conversos over there, too. And they call him the, the Donby. I, I, D, it's got a weird na- uh, 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 word, and it starts with a D, and I never can remember the spelling, but it's the Donbe, uh, somehow pronounced like that. Well, guess who they are? You want to talk about the baths? Guess who the Donbe are today? How about, the, how about the Saudis? Wow. That's why the connection back with Israel, because they're closet Jews. They were conversos from the Jacob Frank thing. And they're the ones that were at a Turk, at a Turk around the turn of last century when they took down the remnants of the Byzantine Empire. 
Ataturk was one of these people, too, and that's why the Armenian genocide. So see how all this fits? Yes, yeah. So anyway, I'm, just, very, I'm writing. I'm sorry, I'm writing fast. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, listen, you need to do a little study on this Sabbatee and Jacob Frank thing. There's a lot of info there to give you a lot of understanding. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and that goes back to the uh, uh, in many ways, and I don't know the specific ones, but let's say the cooperation with the Catholic Church. And you see the Catholic Church woven through all of this, through the Ireland stuff we've been discussing. You can see how those parallels happened and how they touched. If you don't mind, I can point out the relation of where that comes from. If we go back whenever we had Justinian or Flavius Augustus, uh, just. uh, which basically was a big warlord for a uh, general for Rome going out there, and he had his affair on the Malvian Bridge where he claimed he saw his flaming cross in the sky and so-called God spoke to him and made him his representative on earth. This is kind of where this stuff all comes from. And when we go from there and realize that Caiaphas, Caiaphas as we call him today, was the head black robe priest of Baal, of the rabid rabbis that were conferring with him and telling him to do this stuff, to trump up this story, to have all the men following him. And, of course, he did have a big victory over a, a larger force the next day, which added some credibility to it because of the uh, installation or indoctrination of the ideology that God was behind him and his men, giving him bigger power, I guess. But when we understand this Flavius Augustus Constantinus, who covenicled the council at Nicaea to bring together the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the same ones that were ejected from the inner temple, the Holy of Holies, of the first temple of Solomon, God, man of the sun, son, man is God, and they speak from their Torah to the sun god Ra, I mean, this stuff is really deep and really interwoven for those who pay close attention and have a spirit of discernment. Well, that's what we're all seeking is a spirit of discernment. And, man, I'll tell you what, uh, I I thank goodness for all you folks that are interested in this so that we can have a platform where I can talk to folks about it, okay? Because if it wasn't for this, I'd have a mighty hard time. The dog doesn't understand hardly anything, much less any of this. Uh, so it, it's uh, once again, back to that base element of gratitude, Dennis, what, uh, what's been going on with you lately? Just, uh, what'd you, what'd you do over the holidays? I, I went down to, went down to Sean's house in, uh, in Florida. He went to Spain, so he gave my, his house to me and my family. So we went down there. Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, yeah. Sean, you, yes, you, you yes, met yes, Sean yes. over the phone. Yes, know. yes. So. I've we met had a, we several. Had a great time. Well, great, listen, I've met time. several of Dennis's children, not personally, but on the phone for, uh, in in right. the span of our Dennis and my relationship. Well, I think one uh, more interesting than Sean, as as fine a young man as he is, okay, uh, is your daughter and the relevance to the audience here on what she's been doing for well ever since I ever first talked to her. So, why don't you give us some background on that? Because this is pretty cool. Well, her name is Courtney, and um, she is she's she led the, she's leading the fight to um, and and writing the laws 
so that we can grow hemp again, you know, commercial hemp, uh, industrial hemp in this country, you know, and and because it just it went by the wayside, you know, with uh, William Randolph Hearst, you know, and his greed. And so there, these new laws are being instituted so we can, I mean, there's thousands of uses for her, for, um, for hemp. And, um, she's trying to bring that, uh, to pass. She's so, been pretty uh, successful. How many laws has she now keep in mind, kids, this, she's an attorney. Okay. And don't right. hold, don't hold that against her. It can be used for good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's the only one I like. <laughs> and she literally writes the laws, goes to the states, does the lobbying, gets the bill introduced, and gets it passed. How many states has she been successful in? Well, uh, I, I don't know if I know them all, but at least Oregon, Wisconsin here where I am, South Carolina, Alaska, and I, I can't remember the other states that she's been involved with, but um, quite a few. Roger, she's had and, uh, success. Well, listen, getting the whole attitude changed to the point where you can get le- legislation through to change the the demonization of the poor old hemp plant. I mean, just a yeah. poor old plant is the one that's gotten all of this damn demonization this long since the '30s. You know? Yes, exactly. I mean, exactly. the, the Henry Ford's first first cars, the bodies were made with hemp. They, the engines ran on hemp seed oil. The Constitution, I mean, you know, on and on, cloth. The Constitution's written on it, et cetera, et cetera. I was watching the other day, um, uh, I, I love Antiques Roadshow, you know, I've just always loved that program. I've been watching a bunch of the replays from England. England had 21 years of it over there. There's a bunch of them on YouTube. And you just see the most interesting things on there, you know. And I was looking at some snippets of these high-value things that people have found from uh, in the American Roadshow just yesterday. And one guy up in Nashville stumbled in a thrift store on a rolled-up copy of the Constitution on hemp paper. There's only 200 of them found it in a thrift store. Holy smokes. Okay. Sold that's, it for, I don't, I don't remember how much it sold for at auction, but he didn't have to work for a while. Amazing, huh? Yeah. It's, un- it's uncanny, man. I mean, really. Uh, the, the best one, and I was watching this one live when I was in the States years ago, was this guy brought in this blanket out in Arizona. And it was, oh, so uh, my grandfather used to know Comanche or some one of these Indian guys, and he gave it to him. And he'd been laying in his bedroom on his chair, and he had it in his car, I think, for a while he was sitting on, you know. Damn thing is worth $750,000. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, I love those kind of stories, man. Ah. Uh. Hey, you know, let, let me tell you another thing that I thought was interesting for me. Uh, I know two doctors here, friends of mine, who put in hemp this year, and they and they brought a crop in. And so I went and helped them harvest it just a, a few miles from where I live, and I had a ball doing it. I mean, really? really and, and, yeah, yeah, really enjoyable. And, uh, and it, you know, another thing with hemp, you plant hemp. And it cleans up the land. Yes, it does. It takes all the impurity. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's just it's talk about God given. Well, you know, this is a gift from God. You know, it, it's, 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 you know, Dennis, that statement's boy, way true. Okay, hemp yeah. is the only plant in the entire plant kingdom, to my understanding, that has a male and a female species of plant. Did you know um, that? I don't know that. Yeah, but I bet you're correct. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't know much about yeah. Very, uh, that's very interesting. I'll look that up. I'll yep. have to look it up. Yep, very interesting stuff. Uh, hey, can I ask Chris? Can I ask Chris when he was talking just a little while ago? He said Justinian, but I, I think he was talking about Constantine, weren't you, Chris? Yeah, Constantine the Great. I yeah, misspoke. Okay, I think you're catching me on that. It's Plavius Augustus Constantinus. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, I sure. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Thanks, Chris. And of course, Thank you, you know, they they realized he obviously that the religion's the opiate of the people. Oh, yeah. And as I told you one time, Dennis, as I was first figuring this stuff out, trying to understand, and even though I didn't know what I was doing at that point consciously, I was looking at big picture stuff. And so as you're thinking about, let's say we're, I like to do these what if situations. What if we're a group of guys sitting around old, old lecherous money lending bastards here a few, two, three hundred years ago? Go, hey, Dennis, man, let's take over the world. They go, oh, yeah, Dennis goes, oh, yeah, I know we can do it. We'll do it through central banks. Well, there's only a couple of central banks in the world 300 years ago. Yes. And they were yeah. in Europe. But there's a Catholic church in virtually every country and every city on the face of the globe at that point. What do right. You, which yeah. one do you think they used? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, the largest corporation other, in the world. The other thing is uh, to take the same scenario couple of lecherous old Edomite bastards sitting around thinking about how you're going to take over and control the world, you would not, I wouldn't think, go start with a clean slate and say we're going to build a system and and this, and we if we do this, it'll control that, and if we do this, it'll control that, because they could never take into consideration all the unknown contingencies that may come up. They don't know technology, they don't know developments, they don't know anything, right? And if those come up and they don't have a way to deal with them, then their plan's defeated, right? Now, yeah. in that scenario, wouldn't you, as opposed to looking forward with a clean slate and building a system to do this, wouldn't you go back in history and look at the systems that were existing over thousands of years where uh, virtually almost all of the contingencies have ever come up and you do already know how to deal with them, you'd take those systems, make minor changes, and put them into action to accomplish what you're trying to do in the future. I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense, but you can't, yes. I find, yeah. go and talk to people on that level because common sense, in case you haven't noticed, Dennis and audience, is not too damn common anymore, I find. So, no, I mean, just even yeah. from looking at this in that different totally, instead of going to statutes and regulations and this says, just from a common sense approach. I mean, obviously, that's what they did. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is. We've proved it. They took the tax system. They changed it. Let's go into that because, no, uh, you know, anybody wants to call and comment on this or if you've got any questions, we've covered an awful lot of media information in the last two days, actually, have been very substantial. I have no doubt that tomorrow with Brent, because he's always on on Fridays, will do the same. But let's go into the tax system a little bit and the explanation. Again, I learned all this from John. So after Henry VIII incorporated the statute staple statute merchant system into the exchequer, you know how the exchequer got its name, Dennis? 
Uh, no, I don't. Well, it's, of course, the tra- equivalent of the treasury in England. And when yes. the king would go out to collect his taxes, they would take a big checkerboard cloth, and they'd find a table somewhere and set it up and put that checkerboard cloth on it, and that's where everybody would come to do their tax business with the treasury, with the exchequer, and that's why it's called the exchequer. Okay? Huh, interesting. And so when he incorporated the system into England, uh, English uh, tax law, it was a little different. It was based on this statute de mercantoribus, statute staple, statute merchant system that had worked so splendidly for them and corrected their problems. And so what would happen is in the exchequer, they had a council, okay, and then below it, they had an office. It was called the office of the pipe, literally, the office of the pipe. And between the council room above and the office of the pipe there was a pipe that's why they called it that and they would take any assessments or tax judgments that the council had decided upon and they would throw it down the pipe to the office of the pipe and there they'd entered it on the assessment rolls okay (laughs) and so it was a voluntary system, and so what would happen is you, if you owed taxes, you could come in and, and do it and, and, and get that taken care of. And, and the king, if they thought that you weren't paying, quote-unquote, your fair share, what they'd do is they'd send one of these little investigating groups out. And they'd go out and talk to your neighbors and all the stuff the IRS does today. You know, what kind of lifestyles he living and all that kind of stuff, right? And then they'd come back after gathering that information, and they would compile uh, a, a document and, and shoot it down to the uh, office of the pipe saying how much they thought you owed. Now, here's where the difference starts. At that point, if you did not agree with the assessment, you could challenge it. And you could challenge it, but back then England was under the common law. So if you challenged the king's assessment, you had to go to a court of common law and judgment by your peers. And it was only when it went through that process that it was then given a judgment and declared and put on the rolls. Okay? Now, how they change that is that's the exact same system we've got today, all right? Except that you don't get a common law jury, you get a tax court. And if you want to go to tax court and, and, and challenge the assessment, you have to file the action, which makes you the plaintiff, which shifts the burden of proof to you. So they've taken the old system, they've changed it to advantage them, surprise, surprise, (laughs) and that's the system we have today based on a document called a Jewish shetar. Now, Dennis and audience, don't take my humble opinion here, okay? I have a document that you can refer to to get a very scholastic opinion of this. Now, you may not be able to read it and pull all the things we've talked about here today out of what you read, but all the history's there. It's over on the right side, Dennis, of my website, sovereigntosurf.com. 
and it's called an article from the now this is right up your alley dennis it's an article straight out of the georgetown law review uh-huh. about as jesuit as you can get right you're not kidding. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's an article out of the Georgetown Law Review, and it's entitled How the Jewish Shetar Invaded the English Common Law. I've got to read it. Yeah. Okay. And it's Very written good. by a Jewess. This was published back in the 70s, I believe. It's written by a Jewess named Judith Shapiro. And what Judith fails to tell us after she goes through pages and pages of a lot of this history that I glossed over, kind of really, is that the Jewish Shetar is a 1040 form. She doesn't tell you that in there. I might uh, add that Miss Judith Shapiro wasn't just anybody. She was the professor emeritus at Georgetown Law School, so she knew of what she speaks. Also, Russell Pines, a.k.a. Jordan Maxwell, is a pretty well-noted authority into the investigation of the uh, Roman Catholica Christos Synagogue of Satan, and the Jew suits or Jesuits, like we call them. He is, Dennis, and that's a good name to bring up. Are you familiar with his work, Jordan Maxwell's? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, I wondered if you'd stumbled into him. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love to watch him. Um, My only problem with him... What about- what about Mr. Astrotheology? I'm trying to pull my na- pull his name out. Uh, he's a real strange-looking guy, but he's a, a serious investigator into the Roman Catholic. He lives right there in, in, in Rome. Uh, I, I should be able to tell you his name, but Mr. Astrotheology on YouTube, you won't believe the stuff this guy puts out. Really? Is, it, is that the guy you were talking about a few minutes ago, Roger, uh, you know, from uh, South Bend? No, that's the E. Michael Jones. This Mr. Astrophysiology or whoever he is is somebody totally new to me. Tell us a little bit more and and re-pronounce that, Chris, Chris, please. I'm just not able to pull his name. It's a real strange name. He's Italian, and he looks sometimes he looks like he's on methamphetamine, but he's an intrepid researcher, and he goes through the ancient archives over in Rome and researches all this stuff, and he's out in this, everything that's going on over there. I think he was probably a victim of the uh, black-robed priest of Baal inside the church that's taken over the Catholica Christos Synagogue of Satan, the Roman Catholica cult, uh, and converted it to their own use of preying upon children and women and nuns. You know, with the priest meat, uh, what, the priest, what type of meat the priest eat on Friday? None. Oh. None. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Chris. What was the name you gave that the uh, the, the nickname for this guy? He's Mister Astrotheology is what he goes by on YouTube. Uh, I almost had it. It's a real strange name. If I think about it, I'll get it to Roger and he can get it to you. Hold on, I'll, okay. I'll get over here to see if I can research it while we're on the air here. Hold on. Mr. Yeah, Astro you know, George... Theology. Uh-huh. Okay, let me see if I can get him out here. I don't know the name when you tell it. I, I just can't pull it up this morning with everything else going on. Uh, you know, this is stuff that's uh, we 
One of the things that you might be intrigued to know, I discovered that we know about Sherwood Forest and Little John. Well, Little John was actually John Little. <laughs> and I'm thinking he was probably one of these Jew suits himself uh, who was pretty uh, rotund, if you will, because a lot of them were, they were jewelers. Uh, imagine jewelry. Uh, there's no coincidence that the word is there. In fact, the judicial system is another system that's uh, pretty insidious. Uh, does the does it sound like Santos Bonacci? That's the one, Santos Bonacci. That's him. Santos Bonacci is Mr. Astro Theology. I'll have to delve into him. Boy, we got a lot of new information How coming. How do you spell that, Bonacci? B-O-N-A-C-C-I. Yeah, Paul's listening. Is it Paul is sending me this? Yeah, Paul was sending me. Somebody is sending it to me. I guess it's somebody else, Jack. Uh, Mr. Astro Theology. Well, we'll have to delve into Mr. Astro Theology and see what he's all about. Yeah. But thanks for the heads up, Chris. I mean, another day tomorrow, might as well learn something new. There's no thing new under the sun, and we're all in it together. We either hang together or we hang separately. Well, I don't want to hang with all them. There's a bunch of people that are going to go through some hard times. I've consciously tried to direct my decisions to where I avoided those. Somehow I can't get totally free of them, but I'm sure trying. <laughs> Dennis, you know, I had this stupid accident down here. Now, you know, this just aggravates the pee waddling out of me. I had that stupid, my fault, I take full responsibility, I made a stupid momentary decision without really thinking it through, and it cost me, still costing me, okay? The importance yes. of every little decision we make, I can't stress how important that is, And but, but I'm covered, see, I've got the system behind me, right? I'm covered. I've, I've, I've applied for my residency, and I got this insurance. And I have this accident, and the damn insurance company goes bankrupt on me, leaving me the whole bill. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and it reminds me, when I was younger, in my 20s there, in the early part of my record business career, I had a real bad head. Somebody rear-ended me real bad. It's affected me my whole life since. And I, I thought, well, you know, I could go after and sue these guys, but I don't want to screw the system. And I made an incorrect decision of taking a, a lump payout. And, buddy, I've suffered for it for my whole life. It seems like every time you depend on the system, you get screwed. So, anyway, I sure don't need any more personal examples of it. I've, you know, it's made me stronger. I've lived through it, but it sure has made me, I hope, a little bit smarter. I hate insurance. You, you know who George Gordon was? Dennis. I do not. George Gordon was one of these great law professors here. He's dead now. I think he got killed actually. The Rommel School of Law. No, that wasn't the Rommel School of Law. That was that was another group. But George Gordon had his own, and he was originally when I I think it was the Gator Gator Law or something originally, and he was out in Idaho, and then he moved down to the Midwest. He's a very interesting guy. I never did meet him. He had a radio show for a while, but I heard a lot about him, and a lot of people held him in very uh, very high respect. Um, George would come down and teach you all this stuff that we teach you, but he'd charge you, and you had to pay him in gold. Okay, And um, 
he said one time a couple of things, stories about him, actually. But he's the one where I got this idea about insurance. And he said, I hate insurance. Insurance is limited liability. The whole business is based on the concept of limited liability. And what we're striving for is personal responsibility, not limited liability. I want to be responsible for my decisions like that stupid foot thing because, buddy, I learned. Okay. But he said, if I wrong you or harm you and I can't make you whole, drill a hole in my ear and I'll be your slave. Okay. Now, the other thing yeah. that he did that I thought was quite clever, and it's funny, just because it's smart, all right? You hadn't been to court talking about any of this stuff like some of us have, fortunately or unfortunately, most of the time, unfortunately, huh, Chris? <laughs> so if you get into court and start spouting this stuff, they're going to call you names, and they're really kind of bad names. They're derogatory. Okay. And one of them is that you're crazy, right? Have you been called crazy yet trying to tell people about this, Dennis? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, so what, I mean, people just they don't, can't believe any of it. You know? I, I know. Well, what George did, what George did was what he did is what we kind of do here. You do a preemptive strike. All right. And the way that he envisioned this preemptive strike was he went and got him a psychiatrist and went through a sanity exam and got a document from a, a licensed psychologist that he was legally sane. And so he was in the courtroom and some prosecutors, this guy's insane. And he reaches in his briefcase and pulls it out. He goes, your honor, I'll have you know that I'm the only legally sane person in the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. Clever. I've always thought that was about slick as bus station chili, man. Uh, but <laughs> that's how you got to fight these guys. That's what we do with the affidavit. So you can't wait and let them come to you and try and, and, and do your business. You got to figure out what's going on and preemptively go in and cut off their fraud before their fraud can envelop you. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only way it works, man. And that's why it works is because it's based on fraud. And we put it into a document. They can't rebut. They can't. Re Hell, I got it in their own words, on their own document, on their own website. Have we talked about that, Dennis, that little thing? Chris is the one that, look, I've seen this thing for years, but I'd never sat down and read it. And I got some no, guy. Please, that, tell me about it. Yeah. Well, no, I got some guy here about a year ago. And Chris had just... Well, I don't want, I don't think these things are quinky dinks. All right. But Chris had just sent it, sent it to me and forwarded it to me in an email. And it had just been within a recent day or two and it was right there. And I remembered it and it was on my mind. So at this point I had a listener that wanted to get me into one of these email, explain this to me because they're scared to call in on the radio show, which is the platform. So everybody can learn. All right. Right. And so I'm trying to, I take that and it hits me that that I can show him what he's asking in that form. So I get on the air and open it up and start reading it carefully for the first time or pre-reading it. Okay. And if you go to, I want you to go to, you're in front of your computer right there, Dennis, right? 
I am. I am. Travel.state.gov. Travel.state.gov, and it should be the State Department website. Are you a slow typer? Are you a hunting pecker? Yeah, I'm doing, a, I'm doing one finger here, sorry. Okay. You know <laughs> it's what? coming up now, but it's slow. You know my daddy, oh, when, okay. I was in I the, when I was in the ninth grade in Alaska, my daddy made me take typing. I wish mine did. I, had, yeah. I fought That's him. Fun. We argued about it tooth and nail. I don't know why. That's where all the girls were. All right. Yeah. But yeah. At, in the ninth grade, I could type 65 words a minute. Good. And then I never messed with it for 20 years or more until computers came along. And you every don't forget one, it, do you? Every one of my friends is like skiing. Every one of my friends riding a bicycle, every one of my friends is spending, if you remember, 286 and 386 computers are like $3,000. <laughs> That's just yeah. for the computer, not the monitor and everything else, right? And right. they were upgrades were coming along fast, and they're having to chill out all this money to get the newest, hottest computer, and they can't even damn type. So um, it's a great asset. A great asset. Where? What was I explaining to you just then when I got off? Uh, on... I've got this dot uh, gov. Uh, okay. Website yeah. All right. Travel dot state dot gov. Now I want you to go up there to the search. It's going to take you a minute to type this in there. Up to the little search field. Hang on. Let me, I got something in the way here. Ah, there it is. Okay. It's yep. up to the upper right, I think. We'll put got in it. certificate of non-citizen nationality. I know that's a mouthful. There's a bunch of letters in there. So while, while Dennis is Certificate type- of non-citizen National, Certificate of non-citizen what? Na- nationality. Nationality, okay. And there'll be a number of options that'll pop up. You can just hit the first one. Links there, hot links on that page, if I remember. Now, what this is, and they'll tell you that this is a certificate that many U.S. nationals have requested, okay, and that. They used to send them out, but they don't do it too much anymore, Dennis, because the cost yeah. of the paper and the printing is so expensive. Uh-huh. You know that that's a very valid that's, consideration. So yeah, that's right. what they're doing is they're telling you about that there's a difference, okay, because not all pigs are equal to others. Mm-hmm. And so in this document, they're having to explain who these people are, this citizen, non-citizen national, all right? And because this is where all the goodies are hidden. What they've done is hidden the original state citizenship and called it a U.S. national and stuck it in American Samoa because all those rights are still in effect over there. So, see, they had not changed anything. They've altered it, veneered it, and hidden it. They don't have the power. They're not all powerful to be able to do these things. They have to do it like this. So, have you got that document up? I do. I want you to read the first sentence of the third paragraph. Uh, would it be the certificate of non-conviction? 
No, no, there's no convictions here. This certificate of non-citizen nationality. Oh, okay. I, I've got to pull that one up then. I didn't do that yet. I mean, I see. I, I see. Yeah, I've got to. Okay, let me pull that up. Okay, I got it right here. And you want me to go to the third paragraph, you right, say? Right, right. And just read the first sentence, first few words. As defined by the INA, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals, but only are relatively. That's all but, you need to read. That's it. Okay. All citizens are U.S. nationals. Now, if you did continue reading, what they would tell you through subsequent paragraphs and the rest of the one you're in is that these American Samoans are different because they're non-citizen nationals, which means they do not have nor can they acquire birthright citizenship. What's birthright citizenship? That's the identifying nomenclature from the, four, from the federal government for 14th Amendment citizens. Because okay. your rights, your civil rights, come from birth, birthright citizenship. This is what all the anchor baby stuff is based on. Okay? But they're telling you that they have this category of non-citizen national, but they can't be U.S. citizens. So to be able to accurately tell you about them, they have to give the dialectical comparison. And that's what you read. According to the INA, that's the Immigration and Naturalization Act, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. That's what it says on their own document, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. So they just don't tell you that you're presumed to be the U.S. citizen and not the U.S. national. But they're telling you they both exist and everybody's got that. It's right there. Yeah, yeah. And we want to be the U.S. national, correct? Well, now, I can't make that decision for you. Most of my All folks right. want to be, but, I mean, that's up to you. See, that's, this I is an you. individual pursuit, and it's voluntary. It yeah, is voluntary. Yeah. You can volunteer yeah. out. You would think that you've got a model where you volunteer into something. But because it's all based on dialectics, they've got it set up where you have to volunteer out. And that's what you do with the affidavit. That's correct. Yeah. And never in 10 years has there been one bit of blowback. They did for a while when they realized it was they were going to get hit with a few of them. They started sending out these bluff letters. Okay. And they're very easy to overcome. And they've, we've never sent a rebuttal back that wasn't overcome to my knowledge. And never have I had one person get a hold of me and tell me he had problems because he'd done this. Never. In any instance, in any, any way, shape, or form. That's a pretty good track record, 10 years. Yes, you're not kidding. You know, let me, you know, I asked you the question, that's what I want to be. But, you know, um, the thing that you're espousing, you know, that, um, uh, that we're not under the 14th Amendment, correct? Well, you we don't want to be under the well, you, I wouldn't think that you want to be, but Dennis, there's a bunch of people that want to be and would want yes. to be. Yeah. I'm just trying to, figure, I, I'm trying to get the words correct for me. <laughs> can I chime in a little here? Sure, man. Yeah, man. Well, what you're reading comes from Title VIII, USC, Section 1101. Parent A, small a, parent 22, P, 
Perrin capital B exclusively. That's AUSC 1101, small a, 22, capital B. Hike. And then there's a section 341, I think, that you were just reading from the Immigration and Naturalization Act. But you didn't read the rest of that. It says all... U.S. all Americans are U.S. nationals or something of that effect. I don't remember the exact word. You no, it says all, according to the INA, comma, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. Because they have to make that statement because they got to tell you how the American Samoans are different. Indeed. Okay. But when you go on to read it, it says, but some U.S. nationals are not American citizens. That's correct, and that's and the American, American. That's the American Samoans, and others that choose to elect pursuant to Vattel's Law of Nations, their personal selection of political status. And this is an important case that you'll want to write down because it's a very strange sounding one. It's R U R T T T E T E. Q-U-I, or T-T-Q-U-I, versus D-apostrophe-R-C, 1835. Now, let's stop. Let's let's just stop for a second right there. This is one of those wonderful gems and nuggets that somewhere along the way in the early days, some listener sent me, totally unsolicited, that tells it all, Dennis. This case is from 1835. I've never been able to pronounce it, quite frankly. I don't even try it's anymore. Artiki versus what? What was the last one? DRC. I think it's D D-R-C? with a hyphen A R C Y. Oh, I got it. okay. Yeah. Okay. DRC. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's I, like that's a that's a that's a that's a black Irish name. Okay. A, you, well, you that know, it like, it it, it did deal with a black Irish guy. You, so that'll okay. even give you more reason to look into it. And basically, the site from the case, I'll, I'll do it. And it was a question of a passport, okay? And it went to the Supreme Court, and it said, basically, a passport, the passport is an ex parte document. And something that is allowed by Vittel's Law, or it says Law of Nations, that identifies a person going from country to country. However, if... In a court of law on the subject of citizenship, it's an entirely different matter. It's an ex parte document, which legally means it's a separate part. Okay, But what really depends on the question of citizenship is what paperwork is in the possession of the Secretary of State that, if an, in an admissible form of evidence should be submitted as the higher and truer fact. So what it's saying is that whatever papers are in possession of the Secretary of State dictate the citizenship decision. That's why we send it to him, and that's why we send it in an affidavit form, preferably. You could make just a statement and send it in, or as it says in the passport application, a declaration. And I know people that have done that. Okay? But, and it's been successful, all right? But the better way to do it is to do it in, A, an affidavit form, because that's the highest form of truth in law, 
if properly formed, properly uh, 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 adjudicated, put under notary, all the rest of the stuff, and presented to proper authority and unrebutted, it's the highest form of truth in law. They can't get around that. Okay. And so you do it in an affidavit form A, and I always suggest that you do it in the negative person. In other words, most of our patriot guys have done all these thousands of hours of study like Chris is where he can quote off all these parentheses and stuff, all right? And they know it like the back of their hand, and they want to exercise it. And so they get on there, and by God, I'm going to tell you who I am attitude, right? Yeah. Well, anytime you tell somebody and make a statement, it always leaves you open to rebuttal. Okay? So yes. what we always try and get across is to do it in a negative form because it's almost impossible to disprove a negative. So you yeah. don't go in telling them what you are. You go in. There's only two options, okay? They make a whole bunch of money and pay them a bunch of money and big retirement to make these kinds of decisions that are so important. And I'm going to tell them I'm not one of them and let them figure out what the hell I am. Make sense? Yes. Ooh, I have a I have another citation for you. He's got another epiphany. It's coming. Hold on. Well, in fact, two. Uh, Title eighteen. That's the criminal code. Title eighteen, United States Code, section nine one one says if anybody that claims to be a U.S. citizen that can't prove they are is guilty of a felony crime of false personation. And you can't prove you're a dead corporate fictitious entity sure because the U.S. citizen, small c, was sure. created by the plenary power, power of Congress. You can prove you're and one. It's also, you can prove you're one real easy, Chris. Show them your birth certificate. Yeah, yeah okay. Or you could retire your birth certificate. I'm with you there, but... Remember the case Downs versus Bidwell? Yes, we discussed it Pardon. this week. We talked about Judge the we Great Dissenter this yeah. week, as a matter of fact. Very important. The opinion at the bar is, and others say, that there may be two forms of government in this country working in parallel. The two-hat system, as it's known. Are you familiar with that case and that? particular guy it's very interesting dennis it's another one of these situations where a loyal american saw what was happening but he didn't understand what they were doing but he was blowing the whistle on them setting it up are you familiar with that i'm not okay this happened back around the turn of last century and there was a it was when we were taking in all these possessions around the world you know the philippines yes. the spanish american yes. war and the aftermath of all that well uh, my law teacher told me, well, showed me, uh, one of the possessions of the U.S. is the Guano Islands. They literally have a territory called the Guano Islands, all right? But in that, there was a lot of cases that were coming to the forefront because of all that activity, and they lumped them all together, like the slaughterhouse cases with the, the 14th Amendment back in the 1860s. They kind of did the same thing. They lumped them all together at the court, and they call them the insular cases i-n-s-u-l-a-r so you can go search that up there's other ones but the one that particularly is interests us is the one chris was just referring to and it's called downs d-o-w-n-e-s downs v bidwell b-i-d-w-e-l-l 
best I remember. And the most patriots go in when they start reading law stuff, and they'll go in and read the decision, but they never read the dissent. Okay, and the dissent is many times where the real truth and jewels are. All right, and this is the case in Downs v. Bidwell, and the dissent judge justice that was on the court for some thirty years, I think, Chris, right, um, is Harwell, H A R W E L L, right. I think it's Harlan, but I, you know, I'm okay. corrected. Okay. Well, anyway, his nickname among the justices up there was the Great Dissenter. So he wrote a lot of very powerful dissents, and this is one of them. And in this case, Downsby Bidwell, his comment was just what Chris was saying, and he addressed this to the court. It's in the dissent. He said, gentlemen, what we have here at the bar is two forms of government. One is based on the menor, monarchical, uh, menor, uh, uh, the, the regimes of Europe and, and their tyranny, and the other is based on our Constitution. So he saw it, see, way before. This is at the turn of the 19th century. They didn't pull the trigger on this thing until 1933. But that's a real, I wish I had the site. I don't have it right at hand, and I've lost it. Yeah. But, boy, it's a really eloquently put way of saying here there's red flags here somebody's trying to pull something set up to pull up the wool over our eyes so there have been people that saw it along the way i'll tell you somebody else that saw it was william t mcfadden he saw it in black and white in colorful flashing neon and they killed him for it yes yeah yeah Oof. on the fourth try by the way he escaped three of them <clears throat> So anyway, interesting stuff. Um, got a lot of good ground meat, background, real factual stuff covered today. I really like that kind of stuff where I can get on here and show you where this stuff comes from and how it developed into the monster, the the uh, uh, the beast of revelations, is so it's called in the Bible that we experience today. Many of us have beaten it, you know. But even yeah. if you don't yeah. want to file an affidavit. You should learn and be familiar with the information because it gives you sanity. Otherwise, the world looks real crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, when yeah. you understand this, you understand why. It, you know, when you understand this, you know why it's that way. What, Chris? Well, remember, there's a, a number of different locations of passport intake around the country, and oh, they call them satellite offices. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the one that has the final determination from the Secretary of State, that's uh, Mr. Pompeo right now, is his Bureau of Consular Affairs. The Bureau of Consular Affairs has final responsibility for issuance of all diplomatic, consulary, and ambassadorial immunity passports around the country, in fact, they just created a new FAST center, F-A-S-T, which is a fire action training center or something like that, is to train for diplomats and around the world on how to respond to attacks by local forces of uh, revolutionaries trying to take over the embassies and uh, consulary places around the country. Uh, like Benghazi is the one they use yeah. for a uh, training right. 
they need uh, template. They need training in defense of, of them going out and murdering and killing and blowing up and burning so they don't come back on the <laughs> embassy. Yep. I think that's it. a wonderful idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a Mel of a Hess. It's a Mel of a Hess, kids. Uh, but there's there there. This is poured in the storm for you. Uh, if you don't want to file the affidavit for whatever, I maybe you're scared, all that kind of stuff. That's okay. You can be scared, uh, but at least you got some sanity. Now the other part about this that's so positive and has been, uh, well, I can personally say I, I I've, I've felt it and gone gone through it, and I see some of our students go through it too. The ones that take this seriously is the empowerment process. Because if you really look at it, Dennis, with this system where you literally don't have your God-given rights at birth, you're slipped over into this system where you're considered property. Well, would you say that's becoming unempowered? No. No, it is. They're, they're, they're birthing you into slavery from the power you should have had from God. You become un- oh, yeah, unempowered. Okay. You become unempowered from birth. Now, what they do to put the icing on the cake, you know, that big cake with seven layers, all that sweet, (laughs) sweet cream cheese icing, right? Well, to put all that, (laughs) that, the layers of icing on there, what they do is bring forth the administrative state. And they got these guys that have this authority now because of the system you were birthed into that come and like intimidate you. And they further, you're, you're already unempowered, and what they do is just concrete that fact that you're going to remain unempowered, and we're the boss, and you know it. So they get you cowering over in a corner, right? Right. That's totally unempowered. Now, what happens when you start going through this because it's based on fraud? And fraud vitiates any contract ab initio that goes to the absolute roots of any kind of law on the face of this planet. Fraud's not allowed. It's a no-no. Okay? And when it and this is also very interesting now that my friend Tom Schramm came up with one day on the air when he used to call in and get with us occasionally. And he came up with a statement one day that hit me, man. I'd never heard it before, and it's very true. Fraud isn't fraud until it's discovered. Now, you noodle on that for a while. Fraud isn't fraud until it's discovered. Now, isn't that a legitimate statement? Yeah, I'm writing it down. Okay. (laughs) I like it. All right. So, but because it's so overall negative when it is discovered, and especially when it's brought forth in some form of a like legal document called an affidavit, which is considered to be and recognized to be the highest truth of law, well, now you got something. You got a real sharp arrow right there in your quiver, all right? And so now when you start learning this, you're skeptical. I understand that. You've been totally done, unempowered your entire life, your entire life, okay? And you're having to get through and fight through all of that, and you start learning this information, and you start going, wow. This thing is based on fraud, and you start learning more and learning more. And that's why I stress your empowerment is learning the information. This is what overcomes the unempowered position you are in. You learn it's based on fraud, and you learn the facts. And every time you learn one more, every time you untie one of those knots in your mind that's been tied there with a dialectical opposite definition of a word, you get a little more slice of consciousness. Okay? 
And so every time that happens, you become a little bit more empowered. And it's just a self-replicating positive loop. And Daryl's trying to call in. I'm going to call him right back and hook him up. Because honestly, of all my students, Daryl, I think, and I can see this in him over the years. That's why it's so important, is I can see it. And I can see what I've personally been able to experience and now think through, analyze, and define where I can tell you about it. But now I can see it happening in others, too. And that's what this is, is a re-empowerment process to the rights and the empowerment that you should have gotten at birth that were stolen from you through fraud. Isn't that right, Mr. Darrell? Que tal, amigos? Yeah, buenos dias. Oh, hola. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I... Uh, I've been trying to catch a lot of this. It's really good. Uh, uh, while this was all going on, I had the animal control out here getting rid of a uh, stray dog, so I've been kind of spotty. But it sounds, I had to listen to the replay. I, I love it when you go over, you and Chris and everybody go over these old uh, cases. Uh, and uh, the uh, <clears throat> what got me excited here uh, was the, uh, the insular cases. That tells you what kind of a geek I am. I, I always oh, talking about the insular cases. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you kind of, I, that's right. I, I, I have a pocket protector and two pencils and three ink pens. Uh, I'm a geek. And uh, uh, so uh, I, I, I like to call it, uh, I enjoy combat, but I, I like it. I like mind to mind. Mind yes. to mind combat. It, it's great. Isn't so, it? uh, how about this statement? Yeah. And you get in with these people that fit this statement. In the battle of wits, you come unarmed. Dennis, I don't know if you've you yeah. probably heard uh, Daryl on before, but Dennis is I have, from yes. Dennis is from up there where you were uh, hanging around, Daryl, for a while. He's from the Chicago area, Wisconsin type stuff. Oh yeah, 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 up there with the fibs. Yeah. The yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Dennis, Dennis was a big time dentist uh, up there in Chicago for a number of years. Had a pretty yeah, illustrious yeah. clientele, I believe. I'm a, yeah. I'm, I, I used to be a fib. Now I'm up here in Wisconsin. Much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a cheesehead. Yeah, cheesehead, absolutely. Good for you. Yeah, right. What's the rest of that quote? What's the rest of, in the battle sure, of sure wits? Gum, don't you know? Oh, that in the battle of wits, you come unarmed. Yeah, okay. That's a pretty good one. That, yeah. that slice is right to the bone there. Daryl came up with a good one the other well, day. It's been mulling over my head all week since you mentioned it Monday or Tuesday. How did two planes knock down three buildings? <laughs> <clears throat> so true. Yeah, I mean, you don't – it doesn't get any simpler than that. And uh, until you can answer that question, a rational question, uh, well – you know, you might want to reconsider your uh, the basis of your uh, worldview uh, until you can answer that, uh, you know, uh, third-grade question. So, uh, the uh, of course, <clears throat> you know, that, that question challenges the mindset of uh, most of your, uh, your fellows that you share your existence with here because their worldview is that of a child. 
uh, this sounds harsh again, but uh, it it's become very obvious that uh, uh, adults, physically adult uh, people, have a child child to viewpoint of their worldview, and and this is why they're they're so easily uh, manipulated and controlled. Uh, but if we go back to the insular cases, the uh, I, I just want to. You did a really wonderful job of laying that out, and with uh, uh, Downs v. Uh, Bidwell uh, and Harlan's dissenting opinion, uh, I highly recommend people uh, pull that up and, and make a copy of it. But uh, the the insular cases go back to the idea that the Supreme Court, uh, in those cases, and of course this is after the fact of the Spanish-American War, okay, the the war of aggression, and uh, they want to incorporate their their booty, okay? This is, they they plundered and occupied, this is a war of aggression, this is colonialism, this is, this is America acting like Britain, and they now want to consolidate their territory and secure their plunder. And uh, so what happens here is that uh, they get basically sanctioned from the Supreme Court uh, through the insular tariff cases, and they set up, they consolidate the Washington, D.C. municipality. This is the second, this is this parallel system, okay? It, it actually rides on this point, and D.C. is a foreign city-state municipality, and they incorporate this into their federal territories and possessions of theirs. Not, not, not America, of their United States. And they are the oligarchs and the owners of that. And those, all those subject to that. What's interesting... And, and this is exactly... It's, yeah. it's it's what's going on. Yeah. Let me let me give Dennis a little background that you dug up, Daryl, uh, because we were talking about it on the air one day. Now, this American Samoa territory is very unique. Do, have we talked about that before, Dennis? Yes. Okay. Well, you can find us, Daryl, that got up in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep one night and got on the web and started reading newspapers and stuff over there from American Samoa. If you commit an abortion in American Samoa today, they will try you and convict you of murder. Wow. Okay. In America, where I first became aware of this, and it's come up this week, but the story's worth relating. Somebody years ago sent me, forwarded me an email on this thing they were having, this uproar in American Samoa, and they were actually having a plebiscite. And that's a legal word, which means voting on the form of government. The way I understand it, plebiscite is the word. Right. You go look it up and put uh, American Samoa plebiscite, and I'm sure this information will pop up on search. Um, and the problem they have is they're this non-citizen national that you're reading that document. Describe it. Okay? And they, because they're this exclusive status, they can't be birthright citizens. Because they've got to hold them out so they can hide this whole body of law. They're hiding from us. That's the reason. Okay? And so the people of American Samoa, like, want everything that Guam's getting and all the other territories. They want all the goodies. 
They can't get anything because they can't be 14th Amendment citizens or it'll throw the whole system out the window. Then there's no place to hide those other rights, see? So that's what all this is about. And they've taken it to the Supreme Court. American Samoa has a few years back, and it it got up to the appellate level in D.C., and the Supreme Court would not accept certiorari on it. Let me rephrase that. The Supreme Court can't accept certiorari on it. If they ruled on it, it'd overturn the whole system. Yeah. Well, Roger, I, I have a I have a little uh, I have a little seasoning I want to put on uh, this statement right here that ties in with something you said. Uh, oh, probably about a month and a half ago, which was. One of the more profound things I've heard you say in the last year, okay, and and I don't know if you understand just how profound and powerful the statement is you made, and it ties in directly with what you're talking about. And here's the statement: "Where's Ferguson?" Yeah, well, right. <laughs> I think Ferguson is in Samoa. Hey, he is. He's been over on the beach drinking pina colada for some time now. <laughs> yeah. Ferguson. Ferguson's in Samoa <laughs> hanging out. Aloha. Uh, come on, I want to lay you. You know, it's, <laughs> it's. No, I'm serious. I mean, well, you funny. are, and okay. you're accurate. It's funny because it's, it's accurate. Well, While it you're. Uh... It together. Yeah. While you're pontificating there, Daryl, let me point out that when you talk about the municipal or money disciples uh, or the oligarchs, the oligarchs, the archons, the the king or potentate tyrant dictators, speakers, mouthpieces, the race idents, the things identified as a dead corporate fictitious entity by the plenary powers of Congress, this stuff is so deep, so interwoven, words are the fabric of thoughts, words are powerful, you can be destroyed with your own words if a horns twist them around to turn them against you as word war art weapons. So well, these things are all intertwined. Well, I still, I, the only uh, thing I disagree with what Kiss says when you classify us as a corporate entity, dead corporate entity, a corporation is a person. You're a person, too, but you're born into servitude. You're a thing. A corporation is a person who owns things. Okay? So I just, and I I, I try and bring that up because I've seen so many people get off on that line of I'm a corporation, and you're not. You're a person. just so happens you're a person that's born under the authority, scope, and purview of the 14th Amendment, and you don't know it. Okay, so let's let's do a little history here. Okay, let's 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 find let's put some meat let's put some meat on the plate here. 1862, corporate Congress. Uh, at the time, uh, this is a body of men. It's just a board of directors, and they changed the meaning of a single word. This is in 1862. You have to read the terms and the conditions when you're doing business. Yep. And they changed. You're in business. You know what's they the name? The meaning. Of what's it. the name of the case, Daryl? 
Well, it's it's the corporate Congress. They're just defining terms and conditions. There was a case it was based okay. on. It's called Brown versus International Shoe. That's where they brought the idea and, and concept of corporate personhood onto the scene. Brown versus International Shoe. And and they changed the meaning of a single word only and explicitly for the use within this uh, corporation. Uh, go look up USC 3002. You'll see that they, they still abide by that. And the word is person. And from then on, the word person is deemed to mean corporation by federal government purposes. 37th Congress, second session, chapter 49, section 68, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, this isn't a, this isn't a theory. <laughs> this is a fact. And, and, and so, uh, until you get your mind wrapped around the import of that and the jurisdiction and subject that it places you under, if you accept it, then, then, then you're rolled. You're, you're mentally, uh, uh, disarmed. You're, See, you're, you're still thinking that you're uh, something that you're not. The, where our community has been so wrong is they focus on being a corporation and not focus on accurately being a person because they don't understand what the word person means, quite frankly. Now, I can tell you that for 30 years, there's never been anybody in the Patriot community that I asked that question to that knew the answer in over 30 years, never one. So, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the definition of the, the legal definition of the word person, okay? And uh, so uh, this has to be memorized. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about these things and I'm reading things and I'm looking about how I relate to what I'm reading, uh, I understand uh, internally now it's it's very ingrained uh, that, person is an article in commerce. Uh, You're not the corporation, but you're the article. You're an article. You're a res ident. In that capacity, in that capacity, you are. Now, once you file the affidavit, you shed that, and you become the other person that receives yeah. your, 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 your rights from God and to whom you owe your duties. Now, see, Dennis, this, this information is so critical to have total control over, all right? So if you file the affidavit and you're not tied into the system anymore through residency, which is, which is the big landmine, all right? So if you're not a resident of Illinois or Wisconsin anymore and you file that affidavit, where's your residency? Now, this came to me on a plane in Argentina, I think, when I was coming up there to meet you that day, didn't unknowingly. Because on the plane, they give you all these little things. They want you to sign, put all this information, answer these questions, and give it back to them, right, at the end of the flight. And one of them is, yeah. what's your country of residency? And I'm going, well, I'm illegal in Argentina. I've disavowed my residency in the U.S. I'm not a resident anywhere. And that's what started me thinking about this. And so as I got down the line a little bit, and I thought, well, now that I know this R plus D equals R, and I'm getting my rights from God, and it's wherever you get your rights, you owe your duties, that's the, that's the legal relationship, then I guess my residency's heaven. So once yep. you file you're, the affidavit, you're a, you're a resident of heaven. Now, how cool is that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Legally. You're sojourning here. So if, if, if I take a minute and just do a little Chris here, just, just a little Chris. Now, I'm, not, I'm not taking Chris asunder. That's impossible. But if you take the word resident and you break it down, uh, and, and you can do this, Dennis, uh, easily online, uh, Black's Law or a legal dictionary, and break it down. You go look up res, R-E-S. Res is a thing. From the Latin. It doesn't say it's a man. It's, it's a thing. You're, it, you are accepting the presumption that you are a thing. And then if you look at ident, well, that's, that's, the, that's the identification. Of the it's thing. It's the identity of the thing. And that's the why... Right. Are you a resident? That's that why... Is, that's why you well, can't then, be a corporation. Yeah. That's why you can't be a corporation because you're a thing by the right. very nomenclature of the word resident. And and you are that article in commerce. So you you are a commodity. You've been commodified. Okay. This is a commodity. Well, this is what you deal with in commerce. <laughs> yeah. These aren't contradictory statements. I'm I'm trying to provide practical coherency. In, in, in breaking these things apart like this. This is, this is coherent. It is. It's a very good program. last two days have been excellent. Now, I have, yeah, yet to be able, I have yet to be able to say Happy New Year to our good buddy Robert, who just joined us. So Happy New Year, Robert. Thank you, Roger. I must apologize for what I'm about to ask you, but you said something that made my ears twitch and my brain tingle. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. That's always problematic. What is, what is a person... <laughs> An entity, an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties, and I suggest that you memorize that to where you know it in your sleep. If you know that one phrase about that one legal relationship, they can never pull the wool over your eyes. I know someone who might agree with you. An entity, a person, the word person, is an entity. It's important that word's there. An entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. And I what makes that agree. what makes it so powerful, Dennis, is that the relationship, and we've had a couple of shows really in depth on this recently, is what is a right. And uh, Brent will come on tomorrow and tell you that a right is a duty. And I think that he's correct. But for simplistic student purposes of getting people started down the path to understanding, I like to say that they're reciprocal. You can't have a right without a correlative duty. You have a right at birth for life, right? Well, somebody's got a duty not to come in and take your life. There are always these reciprocal relationships, all right? And so that is the formation of our whole legal system, because if you receive a right, you owe the duty. So if you go back to the original, we received our rights from God, we owe our duties to God. The way they circumvented that is you receive your civil rights from the federal government at birth, therefore you owe them all the duties, such as taxation, such as uh, 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 being uh, agreeing with regulations, because now you're susceptible to man-made laws, because you're a thing, and all these things, and they all fit together, and it all comes from a very simple formula, and that's R plus D equals R. 
And I'm going to tell you the world revolves around that formula right there. R plus D equals R. And that stands for rights plus duties equal remedies. So when you know the relationship and you receive your rights from something, it's therefore you owe your correlative duties, right? So let's take it over into the negative realm and maybe make the point even more dramatic. If you don't receive any civil rights from the federal government at birth, you therefore owe no correlative duties, correct? Yes. Okay, there it is right there. I cannot stress how important it is to have total command of those concepts, R plus D equals R, and how you come up with the legal, accurate definition of the word person. Because you see, what I heard for 20-plus years up there is I'm not a person. That's the patriot community's standard response. I'm not a person. But you see, that's not the response. The correct response is I'm not that person and now you've got the ability to back that statement up if you have command of that formula i receive no civil rights from the 14th amendment therefore i owe no correlative duties that's how simple it is an important aspect to that 14th is the so-called civil or just civilis rights, the city law of Rome, just civilis, Justinian's code, are actually privileges posed as right. And what Congress giveth, Congress can take away. Well, any privileges they can give you and they can take them away. Robert, did I get your uh, itch tickled? Yeah. <laughs> you used to know, I guess you know where I was going with that. I was referring to that interview you did with uh, your buddy from Utah, Rick Clint Richardson. When you mentioned corporation, that, that uh, made, whoa, I, I, I came to life when I heard that. So that's why I called in. Well, I mean, look, I've seen, I've seen that response and dealt with that discussion for 30 years with people in the U.S. And, I mean, Dennis, this is very interesting. The only person that's ever answered that question, and I mean immediately, correctly, was my, lawyer. Was my lawyer in Argentina. So they're yeah. not misteaching them yeah. down there. Yeah. He's the one that caught it. He, 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 he grasped the concept, knew the concept. Well, we got off in this discussion. We were going out to look at this piece of property that I had the power of attorney over of because of this accident. We were going out to try and do some of that one day. I remember it was a hot summer day, and we'd been in this little bit of a legal discussion. Him and I really just started talking about it. And I remember we were talking about this, okay? And he looked over at me and he said, damn, you know a lot about the law, don't you? I guess you do, Roger, when you break it down. Well, I, I do, and it's all thanks to John Benson being able, and it's because of that formula and thinking about it. See, here's, I don't know if i got time to tell the story. John used to use a, a method where you'd get one of those big pieces of pads of paper, great big, that you'd put up on an easel, and you could write something on it and then flip it to the next page and write something. Well, I kept all, yeah, those, yeah. I kept all those at the end of the seminars I was at. And so I could take them home and go back and study them. And I got into that one on R plus D equals R and just studied the absolute yep. fire out of it. And I cannot stress how important yep. that is. I really attribute that much, much to the successes I've had, Robert, honestly. It's very important. Oh, yeah. You, 
You know, it's like my daddy. If you learn that, it's the it's what my daddy used to say. Go to the roundhouse, Nelly. They can't corner you there. <laughs> Good point. Okay. <laughs> And a lot of truth there. Listen, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with Brent, obviously, and of course. And a great show today, great show yesterday. We've really, really plowed some good, fertile, basic ground that's so important for everybody's understanding, your confidence, all that stuff. Uh, Dennis, can't thank you enough for joining in. I'm going to encourage you to do it more often. And you and I will talk on the side. Uh, everybody else, Chris and DP and Daryl and uh, even the long-lost Robert chose to join us today. Thank you, man. I'm glad I tickled your ears. I'll, I'll try and do it more often, okay? <laughs> Great show. Ciao, amigos. Hasta luego. Verlos mañana en la mañana. Ciao. Ciao. Hasta la vista.